Hi, I'm Bettina, and welcome back to another short yet exciting season of NRI Woman. We've been on a break longer than we expected to. My mum took ill unexpectedly, and I had to deal with that before I could focus on other things. She's on her way to recovery, and that means we have the headspace to do all the other stuff we love, including this podcast, where we chat with some amazing women of Indian origin living across the world. And I'm Nanora. We begin our season with our 50th episode, chatting with the wonderfully eclectic Reshma Valiapan. Resh, as she's properly known, shares a story of living with labels and owning them. For as long as she can remember, there was a label attached to her. Crazy, angry, rebel, schizophrenic. And now she has created a label for herself, schizophrenist. A combination of the words schizophrenic and artist, activist. She's lived most of her life feeling alienated and offers people a glimpse into her mind through her biography, Fallen, Standing and Her Art. Reshma is one of four siblings and was born and grew up in Malaysia until she moved to India in her early 20s. For the most part, she had a pretty normal childhood and was perceived by others as one with an inexhaustible energy. I was the um, kid who was exercising a lot in the family. So, you know, from basketball to martial arts to, you know, taekwondo to, you know, just representing school for all of this since that was the only way the teachers could control me. And I, and I think I learned a lot of my stuff from dad, actually. If you screw up the pump in the commode, you are going to learn to fix it. If the bulb's not working, you're going to learn to fix it. As a kid, of course, it was damn confusing. You know, because it was good stuff that we learned, but we couldn't really go out and spend time with our friends. So that didn't really work well on the psyche because then we also had to rely on being self-reliant about our emotions, right? As a kid, you're just dependent on yourself for it then. And that's also something that we also learned. The first significant event that changed the lives of Raish and her family was when she was around 15. Raish left home with nothing more than a few things in a backpack and a bike. She rode 160 kilometers over the next three days. No one, including Raish, knew where she was until Raish called the authorities, who then rescued her. What followed was a turbulent time. The family couldn't fathom why she chose to run away from home. And Raish couldn't explain that the voices in her head told her to do so. Her family took Raish to a psychiatrist who misdiagnosed her as trans and suggested preparing her for a gender reassignment surgery. Fortunately, her scientist father's logical mind refused to accept this diagnosis and they did not pursue it. Raish and her family carried on, pushing the hurt and guilt away until her next major episode. I was actually seeing my counsellors in college. This was second year bachelor's. So this is exactly March 2002, right after my economics paper. I walked into my counsellor's cabin and I was seeing them for about a couple of weeks. That was when I had my first episode um, in my... I I took out a dagger to stab everybody and I told her I was going to rip her arm off. And she thought that I was just, you know, doing one of race jokes. (laughs) Then she realized there was no joke to it because it was a a sentence that just stopped at us and I'm going to rip your arm off. You know, so then she realized that was not really me joking and she could tell by the the look in my face. Then they spoke to me, blah, 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 and they suggested I see a psychiatrist. 
a professional that's not that's more uh, has a better expertise than them. I did go to meet that psychiatrist without my parents knowing. And she had not given me a diagnosis at that point because it was mostly called anger management. Dealing with uh, just issues I had at that moment because I was exuberating, you know, um, aggression and violence. And I also was drinking quite a lot. I was drinking more vodka than water. So she was just basically trying to get that off my system and stay on to the meds. Uh, so I was seeing her for about like a month or two. There was no no diagnosis made as yet. It was until I started having, I had my first breakdown at home. Uh, we went back to her. My symptoms just grew even more. She could not give a diagnosis as yet. We It was six months into me seeing this psychiatrist and a diagnosis still could not be given. Until we met a, a family physician's and he said that in his opinion this is leaning towards a schizophrenia form which means before you actually get the diagnosis of schizophrenia it's called schizophrenia form i mean after that of course a lot of other labels followed through it it leaned over schizoaffective which means there were also you know a mood disorder connected to what i was having then of course it also leaned towards ocd and depression and then came personality disorder, then came dissociations. And I said, you know, doc, it's all really bullshit. I mean, according to this, I have every single, I have every single disorder that ends up in the top five mental illness category. I mean, what does that make me then? Like, mad to another level. Rish has always been called crazy or mad, and she loved it. She took it as a compliment. However, this was different. The diagnosis meant it was not the type of madness or crazy that the world understood or embraced. It rejected it. How did that make me feel? Oh, like shit. <laughs> like real shit to be dependent on your family members for every every small thing. Because it's, it's not just being dependent on them mentally now. You're also dependent on them physically because... Uh, the side effects of the medications do so much to you that it gives you side effects of somebody who is probably pregnant at age 50. I mean, how do I describe that? I can't. Because it felt like a mind rape, you know? Like, even if it was a physical version of it, and at least I could scream or I could shout or I could still throw my hands around or kick or pull someone's hair. But... This one's another a completely different level. You're just you're watching yourself being dependent on people you've never really had to be dependent upon and you don't even know what's happening to you. I mean, I recollect my parents asking almost every psychiatrist we went to, is there are there any other people that you know? And they would say that yes, one or two. You know, or they know of others who have had it. But the next question your family member, of course, asks is like, so what's the recovery rate or, you know, like, when do they get better? And the story is of they don't. There's The psychiatrist does not give the same prognosis. They, they don't, there is no hope in, in this. 
and you also hear the same thing that they hear that uh, no we've never heard about anybody recovering from this they have to stay on medications their entire life or opt for ECT or opt for you know psychosurgery and there is no guarantee because we don't have any such case of anybody having actually lived and you know gone back to society they are always dependent Schizophrenia is characterized by distortions in thinking, perception, emotions, language, sense of self and behavior. Common experiences include hallucinations, hearing voices or seeing things that are not there and delusions. And Raish describes her experience. In one word, an uncertainty for every single minute of your life. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't there's no end to this uncertainty. like you never know what your mind is going to cook up in the very next nanosecond because the human thought is even faster than the speed of light it is why monks are telling us to meditate <laughs> because you can have like multiple racing thoughts at any one go and it just takes over your your mind frame you know it kind of just overwhelms you at so many different levels and it just goes on it doesn't stop it's a, it, it's it, it just doesn't stop it's crazy for most a diagnosis means one can work towards recovery but for raish the prognosis was gloomy it was almost impossible to imagine what it must have felt like for raish and her family to know what's causing the chaos and then realize the path to recovery may not exist so well my father of course he said that i mean he being a scientist he couldn't even pronounce the word so he's he didn't really know what it was i think it just confused him big time because i mean he had he had the, he could fix anything on earth so dad is that kind of person right but yeah i think this just kind of left him helpless even as a scientist he didn't understand what was happening i think my mom just thought i was probably possessed by some evil spirit I think she still thinks the same. I did join a support group and when I went there, I did stick around for a couple of months and then I left because I could not connect to what I was seeing. You're walking into a group of extremely depressed looking parents, no doubt. You know, none of them there have smiles on their face because, you know, all their kids are, you know, given this condition. Every single human being that you are sitting with who's diagnosed with say the same condition that you have is overweight is some are drooling some are staring into space some don't really some are not not able to communicate some are just you know randomly stripping and you're finding it funny so you laugh but then the parent tells you don't laugh it's not funny he's being violent and <laughs> all i mean almost like half are you know behaving like kids and their parents are also treating them like kids the others are actually, like you'll find one or two hours actually fighting with our parents and probably another one or two hours who are sort of coherent in our speech and you walk into that like at least twice to thrice a week that's your only reality right i mean you're home you're with your parents your only reality then becomes this your doctor and your back home again that's all you are seeing there that's all your it's it's a repeat cycle in your head okay so at any point i can be any of that also and it's not really a nice feeling or a nice you know future thought to carry back with you potrash and her family disconnected from the world around them rish could not connect with others even if she wanted to 
as her internal connections were haywire. And finally, Raisha's family was not left much choice either. I was not in touch with anybody and also the schizophrenic part of you doesn't allow you to be in touch with anybody or to reach out to anybody and if anybody was to call I would automatically react so I it, it became difficult for those who wanted to reach in because if the phone rang I would you know run out and pull the phone cord off the hook and hide the phone and if the phone rings I would think like you know the bad guys are coming to like you know kill me and shit like that so that just disconnected us from the rest of the world apart from those who cared there were those who also judged i mean some people just stopped inviting my parents for any events for any functions for any dinners they didn't want to do anything they didn't want to have anything to do with my family after that the neighbors thought i was a drug addict so word spread around that i was seeking treatment for drugs rish was on and off medication for 6 years before she completely stopped taking them The drugs numb Rachel's mind and body where she had no thoughts. This to her was an infinitely worse alternative. She found a way to manage her schizophrenia in way that works for her. When you open one door, all other doors open. Right? And if you close one door, then every other door closes and that's that's life in itself and and it's also creativity the same so called root chakra that is linked to the same process once it's open you can't close it and many people in the artistic or creative world do know that if they are doing one artistic you know if they are in pursuit of one they automatically start developing developing skills in another so yeah it was writing poetry just writing articles writing my stories painting um martial arts did not come back into my life until after i stopped my medications of course which was in 2008 then i rediscovered my martial arts there was drama that also came in much later mime uh meditation so it's a it's a range of things not everything works we don't step into the same water twice so you can't use the same method to get out of it Rish uses all these tools to help her manage her condition. She still has episodes, but she's learned to recognize the symptoms and deal with the thoughts before they consume her. It's a delicate balance every day. And Rish has found an unexpected advantage in having schizophrenia. So I was a bully in school. I had a lot of issues uh, sitting still and, you know, trying to pay attention in class i'm pretty sure if i didn't have the teachers i had i would have been given a diagnosis of some other learning disability or you know something like that and then when i so in 2013 with a group of mental health activists from all across the world as part of the wnusp that's the world network for user survivors of psychiatry we all took a note uh, over there as to even if we break up amongst ourselves what would this oath be that we would work for that we individually all connect to and i said i will i want to work with the youth because it is just wrong to um diagnose a kid with uh, you know with schizophrenia merely because he is looking out the window and telling you that a unicorn ran past him you know it's wrong to put a label on a kid just because he's deciding to you know stand on his chair and jump up and down 
and not listen to you and to call it ADHD. You know, it's 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 wrong to for for teachers to walk into a classroom and if you know a boy is dreaming and talking to himself and suddenly decides to break the tables and chairs to him to be diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder and i that's for me that's just that's just humanly wrong so whether you have like flu or cancer or like you've just like walked down the road i mean we all have these problems with our parents because life is about relationships irrespective of what label or condition we have so if we teach that to kids they might be able to shuffle through and negotiate with these relationships with the people they love the most and when you give them this skill you reduce the chances of them actually reaching to the same level many of us actually had when rish was growing up in the 90s the idea of teaching children the skills on how to manage one's emotions didn't exist in her parents minds they did their best to pass on the skills they knew this whole idea of learning to manage one's emotions existed in the west and had only trickled down to some parts of the east over the last few years rish grew up fiercely independent and when her mind began to unravel neither she nor those around her could understand what was happening Rish recognizes how valuable it would have been to have the skill and is now working with teens to help them manage their emotions. In short it's uh, reforming bullies. These are community schools with extreme high violence. You are talking about kids who sexually assault each other. You have all kinds of vulgar language flying around. It's like what you see on television the first time when the principal called me to to basically help them deal with anxiety breakdowns that came from a mental health intervention but the third time they called me was when they said rish we you know we've tried every possible solution on earth we're supposed to be teaching them something innovative but getting them to even listen to you and for them to even think that you have something important to say you know when a boy i mean it came down to level of a boy telling a girl i'm going to put a, w- a ruler up your vagina and you know what are you going to do about it i mean that's how he talks does he mean it we don't know right you know boys locking the girls up boys kicking each others and saying that no i didn't do it you know my leg just kind of moves you know them physically like you know lifting a boy up and throwing it in the dumpster it it was violence to a completely different level then there was the kids hitting each other kicking each other thrashing each other you have to physically hold them apart including with girls and this is this is community in india it's and and of course we don't really see it because we're not part of those lives but this is what their lives are every day and uh that's what i do i'm sort of an interventionist so my job really became that inter intervening giving them different tools of and troubleshooting what do you do with a kid who's behaving like this how do you have a dialogue with him how do you get him to empathize if he's not built to empathize how do you change the narrative for him to be a better human being and not hurt somebody else bottom line not hurt somebody else and how that is linked to you not hurting yourself giving them a context of why you shouldn't you know if he's a girl 
they don't care these are kids who i mean one school has a police station next door to it so the school practices filing complaints against a boy and it came to a point where the boys can't be bothered whether the girl files a complaint because i think one of the instances was when the cop actually came to school and the boy is sitting there and he's smirking at the cop and he looks at the cop and he says how is mom right so that's their hard lives now 5 years into the program and 400 kids later Rache is filled with pride and a sense of achievement. Exactly in the same one month ago, these kids—you are talking about nine standard boys and girls sitting in the same classroom in a government school—and my boys are uh, leading sessions on masturbation. They are taking a session on masturbation in both my nine-grade class in front of girls, and the girls are actually paying attention and listening to them. You know. they're having very childlike jokes but it's not provocative or um disturbing as what it was before and seeing the boys do this the girls came up and they started taking sessions on menstruation they even got in a sanitary napkin in a coed class and they took class and i just sat at the back enjoying myself and asking questions and being a student myself and the boys were encouraging the girls on how to now lead the session how to make others comfortable you know the same boys who were bullies once upon a time are sitting in front just looking at me and trying to establish eye contact as to what they should do or what they shouldn't do and telling you know helping the girls figure out stuff right like telling her don't say be comfortable you have to make them feel comfortable <laughs> and this coming from them i mean that's that's like the best achievement you know for me the kids are not only a source of pride and achievement but rash has also got what she's always wanted i wake up i i mean they've really become my purpose i wake up knowing that you know if i don't go to school my schizophrenia gets the better of me but when i go to school and i hear stories from these communities at the end of the day i'm like you know my schizophrenia has become a gift and the connect is that like a lot of teachers uh, who first started teaching this kids said that race you know we get so exhausted exhausted teaching them and they know about my overstimulation when i'm you know with other people like if i'm out with a group of friends or if i'm attending conference i get highly overstimulated it's actually a problem for me so this teacher asked me how is it that you don't get overstimulated with these kids and i said because their chaos balances mine off i don't need to go back home to take a pill to make me sleep i'm so tired i can sleep you know and i can actually rest my brain stops thinking because of these kids I mean isn't that what I wanted always Rachel's as passionate about teaching kids as she is about encouraging parents teachers doctors adults to stop labeling others If one in every 100 people have schizophrenia and one in every 4 people have depression or anxiety and one in every 82 have autism or you know one in every and one in every and one in every 
then every single bloody person on this earth is mad. By every single possible statistical probability, every one of us is mad. There's a long way to go before society stops discriminating against the mentally ill in housing, education, employment, legal and healthcare. Until then, Raisha and her counterparts lead the way to make progress through education, support and advocacy. The Apple think different campaigns as at best. Yes to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes. The ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. And the only thing you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things. They push the human race forward, and while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. I'm Bettina and I'm Nenora. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you'll join us again soon. We can be found at nriwoman.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. Just look for NRI Woman. If you or someone you know has a story to share, Please get in touch with us at hello at nriwoman.com or tweet us at nri_woman. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at nriwomanpodcast. Please help us share these stories of these amazing women and share it with your friends and family. Our featured fellow podcaster for this week is Crime Crazy Podcast. Erin and Diana tackled some crazy true crime stories in this weekly podcast. Join them as they learn about our legal system one crime at a time. You can find that podcast on most podcast listening platforms or wherever you listen to our podcast. Don't forget to follow them on social media to keep up with them and their podcast. We are Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Pline and Diana Sikhan, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system. Or sharks' digestive systems. Or how many priests are necessary for an exorcism. Or the guillotine. Or how much milk can fit in a shopping cart. Or how to cook dicks. Or what it means when your nose itches. Or penguins. Or why it's called Scotland Yard. Or proper body disposal. Or sentencing. Or how to make it through an entire episode without saying God. How big does a rock have to be to be a boulder? Or geography. Or whether stingrays have teeth. Or crime in Minnesota. Or how medical parole works. Or why people text their crimes to each other. Or the hierarchy of cops. Or what a paper grabber is. Anything about an Alfred plea. The security at Buckingham Palace. If warrants expire. How to start a fire. How much drugs cost. If ducks would make good guard animals. Whether priests have to tell the police about crimes they are aware of and maybe even involved in. Pink stun guns. How much is 11 pounds of cocaine worth? The mechanics of hanging. What happened to Carla Homolka after her release? How to make a car fly. The colonial parkway killer. The swans migrate. Marital property laws in Florida. If horses can throw up. Do crowded hibernate? What animals can get drunk? How do you get stuck in a window? Sharks live. International flight security. How do you typewriter into your prison cell? What you shouldn't bring to a robbery. But we're still crazy for a good true crime story. If you don't know anything about these things either, you should come listen to Crime Crazy. Diana, do you have any advice for us? Yeah, you should subscribe to Crime Crazy. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play or Podbean or your podcast catcher of choice. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WordPress, Facebook, Gmail, or Facebook. Call your people. Yes, call your people. And don't end up on next week's episode. This episode was edited by Eric Heidbrader. New episodes come out every Monday, so make sure you subscribe. Until next time, keep learning, keep inspiring, and be kind.
next week on NRI Women. Most of the, you know, uh, people have this mindset, you know, especially girls. And girls also have this mindset because of safety issues. But when my first solo trip, I met so many good people, so many good uh, male uh, in from the society. So I had a very different mindset, you know, the whole scenario. Because uh, before meeting these people, you know, I used to be like, okay, all men are dogs, like, you know, they rape people, they molest girls, you know, they don't respect girls. But when I started traveling solo, it changed my mindset.